100 podcasts in 100 weeks with Reza V and Itai Schechter. Welcome to episode number two. Today's topic is about pivoting. In startup world, pivoting is the term they use when they have to change idea um, or adapt to new environment as we are going to uh, right now with, with our businesses. Itai, what's your, um, what's your thought on, on pivoting? I feel like there, there's a ton of challenges and hardships that startup uh, entrepreneurs as well as other business owners go through when it comes to pivoting and changing ideas and adapting to new environments. Uh, absolutely. So uh, for me, I'd like to first like, discuss the, the meaning of what it's to be, to be a startup. And what is it? It's, it's your ability to basically make quick decisions, changes, uh, according to uh, whatever happening in the environment, in the market, uh, customer feedback. So coming to think of it, uh, being a startup is just being a pivot machine, right? You just have to adjust yourself almost every day. Maybe you don't call it a big pivot, but like micro pivots and until you find your right uh, uh, product market fit. But uh, um, coming to think about it and, and talking about pivoting, uh, uh, for me, it sounds like what startups are all about. Uh, and I'm not necessarily meaning like a huge pivot. Okay, forget my idea. I need to do something else. This is like a big pivot and, uh, and there is a place to that as well sometimes. Uh, but being a startup, uh, for me, what it means when I'm saying the word startup, what comes to mind is making a lot of quick decisions and, and uh, doing things that big corporations are not able to do in terms of their structure. So this is what it's all about in the earlier stages uh, of a startup for me. What do you think on that? So I, I was just thinking as you were talking in terms of how startup um, startup world is all about disrupting coming up with very innovative ideas and it's a much riskier approach to business than the traditional small businesses that that we've seen and pivoting is a part of being an entrepreneur and a founder in a startup world because even though everything in the economy is going perfect in the startup world, uh, sometimes your idea is not as great as you thought and innovation doesn't come easy. You've got to try three, four, five times in order to get the result you're looking for. So people are learning to be very agile. If you want to be a founder, if you want to be an entrepreneur and start your own startup, you have to learn how to be agile. Now we are going through times that everybody has to be agile and quickly it went to my mind, wow, startup founders are probably more equipped or more um, experienced in the world of let's quickly change from offline to online to all these environmental changes. Whereas traditional business owners are all lacking that ability. But if we want to dig deeper, there is a lot of challenge even for startup owners in terms of, You've got to come and you've got to face the fear of I was wrong or my idea wasn't as good. That's a big pivot. Smaller pivots are more in terms of maybe the idea I had is not solving the, the problem I thought it is solving. It's solving some, somebody else's problem. 
and I think it comes down to the understanding of um, it, it's difficult. It, it's, so, it's so yeah, Reza, exactly. My, my thought on that is if you are as, a, as a, an early startup founder, will make a lot of small pivots uh, throughout the way. Uh, maybe it's a way for you to avoid a, a big pivot that is exactly what you said. Forget my idea. Let me focus on the, the other thing that I had in mind. Uh, those are big pivots, but I think it could be avoided potentially if you make a lot of small adjustments to your plan. Also, again, based on the feedback, uh, which is the most important thing, the market, okay, now coronavirus, how is that affecting me? No one expected that. It's not customer feedback, but I need to adjust. Um, everyone has to adjust. I think uh, uh, being a startup founder, uh, um, as you said, it might be uh, uh, easier in, in nature for us to, to adapt to changes. Uh, but I think that's the, the advantage of startup that they don't have to, uh, do much to make big changes and small changes uh, according to the feedback. And uh, um, I think this is what it's all about, basically. I, I, I want to know, I'm very curious, even though we had other calls that I could have asked you this, but I saved the question for today. I we save know, a few questions for I today. Know, yeah. <laughs> I want to I, I know, did you ever have to pivot in big or small way? And walk me through that that time that you had to pivot your idea or pivot anything in your business? Uh, of course. First of all, I, I still pivot all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So again, when, when I say pivot, I don't necessarily mean a big pivot where a lot of people are talking about. Uh, uh, pivot for me, uh, if you take the initial idea, even for Vanyware, uh, which, which was a startup to connect anyone with a skill with, with anyone in the world and what we are doing right now, uh, it's absolutely different. We are focusing only on content creators, YouTubers, Twitch streamers. So the way that we reached it is by trial and error, feedback from customers, feedback from users, uh, seeing the user uh, uh, behavior or uh, seeing the flow. Uh, market research again it's all came through feedback then we made the small changes uh, that led us there so i wouldn't say we had a big pivot moment where we say okay forget about that initial idea we need to focus on a, about a, a different idea the core idea is still the same if you ask me mm -hmm. uh, the pivoting is is basically our process as a startup so, taking the feedback so and adjusting to it a big part of pivoting is um, is to understand how your customer sees your company or your solution, um, and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of uh, humility to be open to how customers are viewing. You were super passionate about this solution for this target audience, and they tell you otherwise. Yeah. How how how's your approach? How do you make sure there's no bias when you are getting the feedbacks? And uh, you take your emotion as an entrepreneur out of it. Uh, you have to have your KPIs or basically what you are trying to achieve in general and see that it matches uh, and optimize to, to, to get there, right? So even if you don't reach your KPIs, uh, that doesn't mean anything bad. Most likely, if you set your KPIs, you will not reach it immediately, right? It's unrealistic to do it. Uh, what you will do is you start making the small changes, the small adapt, 
uh, adaptments uh, in the market. Maybe it's in the marketing flow. You will start to play around with all of the puzzle pieces and see where it goes. I can define some of that as small pivots. If in the end you find yourself somewhere else, it's because you did kind of play around with it and pivoted a lot. Um, it's not like the, the big pivot moment, as you said. That's something that I heard about. I haven't done it myself yet. But Let, let me walk you through my experience because yeah. I, w- my approach is, 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 was I know I'm super passionate about connecting. Like I've seen how when meaningful connections happen, what comes out of it. And I'm super passionate about tools and technologies that can facilitate that, that can enhance um, those connections, that can make it more meaningful. So I, I know what I want to achieve down the road, but the, the, the solution I have is kind of like I'm bouncing back and forth to see what is the best approach. And from fall 2019 that I was thinking, have the perfect idea this will really help the business community to now with our environment changing it's eye-opening and it's a little bit it's quite tough because you've got to face the fact that whoa i feel like i have something but it's not as perfect as i thought it was and and for me it was a difficult process because at some point i had to take my passion and my um biased uh, uh, thinking out of it. And I feel like it is a very tough situation to be at, to say, yeah, I feel like I was wrong. I've got to approach it differently. And to this day, I have, uh, feedbacks from my customers where I have something, but it's not complete. And I'm trying really hard to see it from different angles and I'm pivoting right this moment. I, and my business Ovu is pivoting either 30 or 40 or 60 degrees i don't know yet yeah um well in your case right now uh um i mean the core uh, uh of your ovo card basically is gatherings networking events physical so uh, the whole corona uh, virus situation throws that off completely and you have to adapt so you have to pivot and find the right angle yeah. Uh, definitely wasn't expected before. And I mean, no one expected it to happen. Uh, and now basically what you're doing as a startup founder is trying to find the right angle for OVU to get through the, uh, the times where people can't physically meet, which I think could, in the end of the day, when things got back to normal and if you made some achievements in the online uh, field of OVU, if you will, I think it would complement Uh, the card in the end of the day. So what I'm trying to get at, which is very sobering and very um, interesting process, especially for someone who, like myself, who started, who is in the process of his own, uh, his first startup, whereas the people who've been in the industry for long enough, they, they may not be as emotional. So 
at the beginning as a startup founder you're very emotional and attached to your idea and it's hard to take that bias out of it you love that idea you love it the the business you started so there are there must be people like yourself out there and then you get to this sobering process of no you don't matter you have to listen to others and and give them the perfect solution but what i'm getting at is when you look at the two extremes are equally dangerous because if you become someone who is extremely passionate like me about an idea and that idea is worthless to the rest of the world then all of a sudden you get to a very dangerous situation if you become slave to what other people want you to do then you don't have any passion in there so that's the dilemma i'm getting at I think you should look at you should still have the passion but the passion should come from you uh, in love with the core of the idea and not the idea itself the core of the idea is going to be the same no matter what and this is where your passion should come from and the adjustments should come from the the data the environment the market the situations that we are dealing with right now i mean right now what can you do with avocard you can mm-hmm. there are, there are no events so what's the plan do nothing no you have to adjust you have to to change it to the online environment uh, and uh, um it doesn't mean that things are back to normal that the card wouldn't yeah. go back up again but you, i think it's important that you take this time to complement the online uh, component of it um and this is also why i don't see it as a complete pivot it's not like okay forget exactly. the card now i'm doing another thing i think you complement that and and we get we get back to what you just said earlier in terms of the core of the idea the core of the the idea at least for me i struggle with both sides because i had one side telling me just listen to what everybody else says and another side saying well i don't want to do that i want to be within this boundary so now i'm trying to within the boundary of what i'm passionate and what the impact i want to have in the world finding the right solution that people actually want and care about especially now because that it, it really shook up the whole uh, yeah. business environment right but i feel like there are every entrepreneur will face a light version of this or a heavy version of this at some point that the market is the market is the market as our friend Gary Vee says and that is that is very true because at some point somebody's going to give you that punch in your face that no your thoughts doesn't matter actually it's what the market wants absolutely um i want to get into the talk of um what like i have i have a lot of plenty of experiences in terms of what happened in that journey and i want to really break it open for the audience and get ourselves a little vulnerable but yeah. i want to start with you tell me about the time that you came up with vaniver what how what was the process like when you came up with the idea was it the exact idea you have today or did you have to adjust over time i want to i want you to walk us through that time it was a completely uh, different idea it was uh, based on my experience i think i told the story in the previous episode of how i came up with the idea just to briefly uh, go over it again i was the head of a media department in an advertising a- agency uh, and friend who reached out to me for help in promoting the facebook posts and google campaigns and what's not 
uh, and I started helping them and eventually they started referring other people from me and people who are willing to pay me for my time. And this was like, okay, the haha moment, I have a skill to share, people are willing to pay. Let me take it to the online environment because now I'm helping my close circles uh, and uh, I wanted to, to help maybe someone in Tokyo, someone in Vancouver, someone in New York with the same questions and monetize that. That was the initial idea for Venware. We started from there. Um, and over time, when we started testing that, it became clear that there is a demand, but it's really hard to get to the people who, who need my service. It's and really I hard to get to the point that you went from marketing need because that was the service you were providing. How did you found out that the video gamers are, are so, more attractive? So even before that, uh, um, uh, once we started testing that we realized, okay, it's hard to get paid uh, uh, users that don't know me and who I am, right? Uh, what I had going for me is the, the closed circles, the, the recommendations basically was it. And it's difficult to do it over borders and online. So then we, we took it to words that we were familiar with in the online advertising uh, space and we tested it on uh, Apple support. Um, there were like a million searches a month or something in Google for iPhone tech support, iPads, iTunes, all sorts of questions. And what we did is we gathered uh, leads of people who are good with Apple products, helping their friends and family. We, we really got hundreds of leads of people who are like, mm -hmm. okay, sign me up, I'll help people. Um, then on the other side, we, we put up a campaign on, on Google. Uh, people were searching, fix my iPhone, iCloud, iTunes. Uh, and we connected them this way. So it worked. But again, it worked and it worked really well. But again, we had a problem there, which we didn't expect. Uh, first of all, uh, it was pretty cool to see it working. And most of the questions were uh, from people who were asked how to sync their email Mm -hmm. uh, on their iPhone, Th those were most of the questions, but it was really funny to what see. What was the problem then? The problem was, it's a one-time thing. I How see. do you get people to come back? Okay, they solved this problem. They paid two dollars in the beginning. Even we 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 Got paid it. the the skillers as we call them, the, and it was free to the user just to see the user flow. But from feedback, we realized, okay, how do get them back they got their problem solved that's it mm. there is no stickiness here so what we do now um and then we started to think okay where will our product get? those are all micro pivots if you yes. think about it yes so uh it's a marketing pivot i see it as it's yeah. more of a target audience and yeah. a product market fit kind of pivot the and idea I'm, is the same i'm keeping just... the the story relatively short because each of these periods we did yes. our market research we saw the volumes of apple customers so there is a demand there are people that are paying everything is i mean i'm really summing it up here in our conversation but it's really more than what it sounds how like. long did it take how long was the time that you guys were focusing on apple support kind of skill set so it was probably a few months at least like three four months to set everything up and uh, and just to get a tangible number around that three four months how many calls were happening around during that I, three four months 
don't remember the exact number, but we had uh, about 400 calls in total. So it's interesting to me because you had 400 calls. Your platform is being used. There is some revenue coming in. For that, for that, it was free to the users. We did pay the, uh, the, the people who helped, but it was the first thing we ever did, right? So it was important to us to first get the user flow. For me, most of the feedback of that uh, uh, pilot and case study, if you will, was... Yeah actually a product feedback and not a market feedback because back then we only had video calls no voice no chat we saw that a lot of the people who are calling are afraid to to uh, talk on video straight up so we learned from that we say okay we will add a voice call feature we will add a chat feature a lot of uh, the initial test was actual user flow through the system uh, which is also feedback so I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is, uh, what I'm learning from you is that during that four months, uh, the idea was kind of developing to be even better because now you're like, wow, people are actually using it. Um, people are coming with a problem. Somebody else has the skill and they are, they are solving it for them. Then you realize there's no stickiness. People are not coming back. This, is, this may not be the right target market. First How of all, many- uh, yes. This uh, campaign was a success for us because we got uh, product feedback, which is really valuable. We were able to make the adjustments. Uh, the campaign results were really good. Um, probably it's something that we could build up to, to this day and work on volume. The problem is working in this environment and we're coming from marketing uh, is you need to come up if, if you're working this way, you need to come up with the right formula to keep your ROI positive. It's really difficult to do this, but there is the volume, right? So you can get a volume of people using it one time. You can't you yeah. can do that. I, I, I come from a marketing background. I totally understand the KPIs you guys were looking. You were like, this is scalable. The volume is there. It's easy to pour more money. But I don't, because you guys are coming from marketing, you saw three step ahead of time, three step ahead, and you were like, the stickiness is not there. So exactly, you knew the problem you're going you're gonna to face later. So you started uh, early on to look for a different target audience. How many different target audience did you guys go through before you landed on video gamers? A lot. Uh, first of all, back then, uh, um, we were able to actually raise our first uh, round of finance from that case study. Uh, and we did pivot after that, uh, if you will, to, to uh, look for other markets. And uh, since then, we, we tested a few different markets, uh, um, travel, uh, travel industry, helping people. This was a really a deep dive into travel. Uh, helping uh, people, uh, for example, in New York, we did a couple of case studies. Okay, I'm traveling to New York. I can have a local New Yorkers on my phone. It will be 50 cents per minute or whatever, but it will give me like the real New Yorker native places, not the touristy stuff. I don't want to go to Times Square. I want to go to the real where the New Yorkers go, you know. Uh, so a local will give you those those um, on buy, uh, not on buy, but local will give you the the um, the skills exactly. that they have. I guess okay. exactly. We did some testing there. It also worked pretty good on a small scale, of course, because uh, still a startup. Um, 
the problem there is, uh, and it's not necessarily a problem, right? Uh, it turned out to be a problem. You need a steady source of fresh tourists who are coming to a specific city. New York is a good example, but it could be a European city, it could be whatever. And uh, from our research, the more we got into it, we figure out, okay, for, in order for it to really work and get the supply, we need to collaborate with a big company. It could be an airline, it could be a municipality, city of New York, for example, or um, whatever airline you have in mind. Um, and this was a really cool idea that the, lo- that the initial feedback we got from first municipalities and the airline industry or hotels was really, really positive. The problem there is those are big organizations. They move slow. And for us as an early stage startup, I still think it's a great idea. It, it uh, proves itself to work on a small scale. It will work, especially, of course, not now. There, there is no flights and no hotels, but assuming the economy is, is in the right state, uh, it, it does work. Um, for us as a startup, we don't want to be dependent too much on a big municipality or airline or company that moves slowly and take months sometimes to, to, to do stuff, right? So this was another point when we say, okay, you know what? We'll keep those connections that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll use it someday. We can explore it in parallel. But we can't really wait for uh, other factors. We want to be dependent on ourselves in order to uh, make progress and not uh, other uh, companies, corporations, or people. And I'm assuming uh, you said you went through multiple one of these. How many would you say? How many different industries you had to go before video games? We went for a few. I think those are like the main ones. There, are, there is a lot of micro-testing of small uh, and then, and then industries. Did- and did any of them, I'm, I'm sure some of them st- stuck around while you guys are now targeting video game industry. So even now, I don't know if we target video game industry. Uh, okay. We are still exploring that. So and then we decided to explore the creator's market, okay? In general, okay, you are an influencer, which is a word that I really hate. Uh, and I'll maybe explain why yes. in another episode because yeah. I can go for 40 minutes why <laughs> <laughs> I hate the word influencer. Uh, but in order to make things simple now for the discussion, let's call them influencers, okay? So let's target the influencer market. Beautiful market, uh, makes sense for us because, and, and here is the core uh, thing that we identified, uh, the influencers, if they use us anywhere as a tool, we don't have to do direct user acquisition. We just get them on board and they use us as a tool. They make money. We take a small commission and everyone's happy, right? So we did identify here a, a potential for stickiness, mm-hmm. a potential for, um, you know, marketing wise. Yeah. They, no they, direct a, acquisition cost, exactly, for example. Exactly. Um, and it all sounds good, right? But when you dive into the influencer market, uh, and if you will do that, you will know why I hate the word influencer. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you find out that, you know what, all these people on Instagram, it doesn't matter if they have a million followers, it doesn't really mean anything necessarily. Yeah. There are great content creators out there, but uh, notice that I'm calling them content creators and not influencers. Yeah. Those are the people we, we uh, uh, discovered that we are really interested in, no matter how big or small, but uh, uh, from our feedback, we realized, uh, and from user feedback, of course, we realized that we want to find content creator with real communities and uh, they will talk with them and support them through anywhere. So it was a process, as you see, we made a lot of changes. I want to get back to when was Vaniver founded? Uh, 2016. So from the idea stage. So it's been about four years or three and a half from years. From idea stage, yeah. And then uh, how long of it uh, you, you've, you've found yourself marketing towards creators? Um, probably we, less than a year. So it's, it's been two to three years, let's say two years, that you've gone through different uh, markets to, to find this creator market. And you're telling me you're still exploring this market. Oh yeah, it's still a new market for us, so for sure. I want to know as an entrepreneur behind the wheel, did you ever get attached to any of these markets that you were like, darn it, I really wish this worked within this market. I really wanted to help the travel industry. I'm a little emotionally upset that it didn't work or you were totally unbiased. You were looking at the data, whatever the data told you, you did that. Um, all of them. I was attached to all of them and each time to make the necessary changes was a big deal. Uh, but over time, for example, maybe after the travel or after maybe the, the content creators and influencer thing, I realized that uh, what I, I'm passionate about is the core idea and not this market or that market or this feature and that feature. Um, and this is what's helping me now to make the necessary changes. After I made a few, I, I am looking at it from a different perspective a bit. So and, yeah. And, and what, uh, let's, let's dig deeper into that passion. What is the passion behind Vaniver in terms of what makes you happy? If, if tomorrow you woke up and you saw something that happened on your platform because of the hard work you put into it, what, does, what is that? So uh, actually this week, something of that sort happened. Uh, one of the YouTubers who I'm following for two years, maybe, uh, has joined us. And, and it was like a personal thing because a personal favorite YouTuber of mine has now joined a venue where he also announced it, announced it on his Instagram uh, channel to 700,000 people. Uh, ever since the announcement, uh, on his Instagram channel, his phone kept on ringing with Venuer calls, which was pretty awesome to see. Uh, so that was like something that uh, was really excited for me personally, because, you know, someone that I uh, loved and watches YouTube videos before Venuer, uh, voiceover Pete, by the way, is the YouTuber. Uh, and now is is working with me and I'm talking with him on the phone and giving him advice how to uh, optimize his calls and uh, that was pretty cool. Um, it, I'm just processing some of this because I'm trying to get at um, 
I understand your passion around what you guys are doing. And I'm trying to get at, are you, are you in the same level passionate about a creator that is popular, that is famous coming to your platform as somebody else from travel industry coming to your platform? Or are you now happier that you guys are, you know, doing it for creators or what's the underlying value behind um, what you're trying to impact the world through? Personally, now I'm, I'm happy with the creator stuff, especially when I get to talk with people that, uh, you know, I, I used to watch. Yeah. Um, and it's more exciting for me personally. Uh, but that doesn't mean that maybe someday the right thing to do will be to go and focus on the, the travel uh, uh, vertical. Uh, if an airline will now sign us a contract of a few uh, million dollars, maybe it's the right thing for us as a startup to do. So I have to divide that, right? Um, I don't think it will happen this quickly because, again, this will be like a huge pivot to let go now of something like this and go back to the airline space. Uh, uh, travel uh, uh, scene um, but you know it's it it would be a big change now after we explore yeah, this market. i i have i have a feeling if um hopefully this is the target market that you guys were looking for all this time but if you had to move to another market to explore i think this is one of those things that you might be emotionally more attached to it now that you experienced um the the feeling of of being in touch with these yeah creators. maybe but i don't put so much significant to it you know uh, i now uh, it's easier for me to maybe divide it a bit more um maybe it's also because why well, you know i get to talk with these people and i don't get nervous or anything because yeah. i don't know Okay, I'm gonna. I uh, first of all, I've learned a lot from this conversation because um, it's it's a difficult thing to do when you have to be driven by data. At the same time, you have your own set of passion and emotion that mixes with it. And I I'm gonna share with you my story behind yeah. and and all that, and you can interject and ask questions. Yeah, uh, whenever you want. But Ovu started as this exciting project because I felt the pain of that traditional paper card wasn't enough. The traditional paper card felt um, it was just not a good representation of who I am. And the moment I thought to myself, I used to do freelancing uh, in, in the marketing room. And when I stepped into this small business um, or retail or restaurant, or whatever, and I wanted to introduce myself to them, having a card or having a brochure, it just didn't stick to me. That, does it, was, was it like an environmental thing? Was it, no, what, no, didn't, no. what didn't stick to you? This is what I'm it, trying to know. Yeah, it wasn't environmental as much as I would love to brag about environmental factors. Uh, but to be honest, it was just, there's more to me. And the, the guy uh, is very busy right now. I'm talking to an owner of a business. He has literally few minutes. And I want as quickly as possible to direct him to my social uh, medias and all my digital presence. So he gets intrigued to watch some of my videos and learn more about me. And he doesn't have time. That elevator, 60, elevator pitch, 60 seconds, I have to convey that to him. And giving him a physical paper thing 
and trusting that he would go then check out my social media, it just didn't feel right. I felt like okay. I'm not in, yeah. And I wanted to see the results. For example, I wanted to see if he actually went and looked. Um, and I couldn't tell that by just giving him a brochure. Whereas having a landing page that you control, it gives you chances to see, did he click? Did he, what, what happened? What are the actions on that landing page? And I wanted a quick way. I learned this from, um, there are a number of websites out there that do interactive resume building. So the old school resumes, that is a PDF or a paper resume. Everybody knows it doesn't do a good job. I don't really know any more about you before that resume than when you gave me. No, it doesn't say anything. If anything, it, it's just something boring to distract you. Exactly. So an engaging resume, there are a bunch of websites that they create this resume where there are links, there are videos. So there are different sections. And at one glance, I can see the summary. Think about this as a, one of those, um, what do you call it? When you have 300 page, um, pages report, and then you have a summary at top. That is the summary. With like any a prospectus click. or something. Exactly. With any <laughs> click, it opens to whatever section you want to see. So I've seen that for, done with resumes, but I didn't want to have a resume. I, had, I wanted a, a kind of semi-formal introduction. This is me, a mini website. And a personal website, um, I had a struggle with this. When you're a freelancer, a personal website doesn't really make sense. You're like, what am I going to put in there? It's going to be two pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's my face. These are the services I do. So that is where the idea came with, what if my business card is also acting as my mini website and it has everything about me in compact format? You can at one glance see it all. If you want to, you can dig deeper and deeper and click in each section. And it started with this idea of having uh, my social media and my information and then in the future add more sections to it. Do you have any questions? <laughs> I have a lot of questions, but I want... Throw it at me. Yeah, no, keep going with the story because okay. I know where it's so, getting. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you, you've been part of my story, right? Yeah. So that was, that was the idea. And obviously, I came up with this exciting um, way of launching it, going to 100 networking events in 100 days. And, and I tried to do a bit of market research in there. I don't think, looking back, I did a good job of market research because I failed to take my biased opinion out of it. I became the number one user of my uh, solution or my product, but I failed to truly examine what other people think of it. And I, I had a lot of bias along the way. And um, slowly- I'm not I, sure ahead. that's the case, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. I, I think what you did uh, with the hundred events and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, in the story, we're at this point right now, right? So what you did with the hundred events was testing feedback, real user feedback uh, that you learned from, I guess, in some way or the other, you, you learn a lot what you didn't have when you only have it as an idea. So I would say the first 80 to 90 events, because I didn't have beta users until January, um, it was just me testing. 
Um, so I saw how, how things are out there. I realized what are the potential issues uh, when the users use my product. I truly lived the, the life of a user. And then I started my beta program, which also opened up doors to me. Now I'm looking at my top users and I'm reaching out to them. I'm lucky because I have a relationship beyond just the customer relationship with that person. I can actually reach out and get a 30-minute Zoom call with my top user. Whereas yeah. sometimes uh, with some businesses, you can't do that. The per- it's a stranger on the other end. The, the, the question here will be, does, because you know them, does they represent a scalable user? That and also what I'm not too sure, which is uh, one of my homeworks this week that I'm doing is uh, reach out to users and really get to know understand the problem forget about the product i have understand the problem but one of the one of the challenges is that did they get passionate and excited about my product because of me or because of the product that is that is the big question because i went with a lot of heat into this uh, marketing campaign i'm super passionate and people buy into other people's passion is so that is the bias that i'm i'm not happy about yeah and when I heard your experience of looking at KPIs, putting this product out there and see how people do, it's a little sobering to me because I'm like, wow, I need to tone yeah, down but, my passion. But yeah. you don't go into this like that, yeah? I mean, you, you should have something uh, or at least from the data understand where you wanted it to go and, and help you as, adjust for the future in order to make it something that could scale. Mm-hmm but uh, you don't have it going into it for the first time. Yeah. You have to do some testing, which you have done now. And what I want to ask you, uh, uh, still in that time frame of 100 events, was there a pivot throughout the events before the 100? Was there like small pivots, bigger changes that you implemented, maybe even not to the product itself, but in the overall approach so the the during the 100 events the product uh stayed relatively the same the product from the idea i had prior to events till end of the whole 100 events it stayed the same in the manner of um how it functions the card itself changed the, uh, for example, it went from metal to, you know, plastic to different types. That's not uh, really because, a pivot. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not a pivot. We're pivoting so, from metal to plastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pricing, the, the, those yeah, stuff yeah. got refined, but not, not a pivot. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I'm finding myself like right after the 100th event, because the 100th event was the testament of now, let's see how many people actually buy it and use it. Um, Sales came in, then it slowed down, then the coronavirus, and then all of a sudden, it's really tough to gauge. It's really tough to look at the data and say, is it because of the virus or is it because yeah. of the product? So now, uh, initially, it started as let's look at different categories and see which uh, niche market, which vertical actually likes this product. And what I found out was my top users within the first month were salespeople. Salespeople and business development and lead people who are in lead generation, they love the card because it gave them a leg up and they, they could um, use it in, in, in their field. So 
the small pivots were let's look into different demographics. Nice. Now I am completely looking at different ideas and approaches, but to the same problem. So it's, it's an interesting way of doing it. I am um, tr trying to shake it up. I'm looking at, because here's my mentality. I know what I want to do end of the day, but I don't care if it's with my card, with glasses, with video calls. I don't care how, what technology, but I know what I want to achieve and, and I'm still working through that. Yeah, and, and also this week, uh, you had uh, a virtual event. That yes, is a let me part, get to that. It, it is a part of what you, you told me yes. so far. Yes, so... Here's the thing. I went through two weeks of, I would say two, the past two weeks has been really like a lot of uncertainty, not just the coronavirus, but in my own business, I have uncertainty in terms of, do I stick to my original idea and build it and just wait to see what happens? Do I pivot to adjust for coronavirus? Do I, what do I do? It's it, as an entrepreneur, I felt like I'm in a very, uh, tough position, especially after doing all those hundred events, I felt like, wow, I did a big success. And it, it quickly went off. Like that success just went off. Now I'm in this position of making tough decisions. And I got this dilemma, stick to the original plan, wait for the coronavirus to go over and then figure out whether it was a good plan to begin with or completely pivot to adjust to today's world. And I am experimenting with today's world. And one of the things uh, that I discussed with my developer was that this card is an add-on to the previous infrastructure we had offline. Now we don't have that infrastructure. Let's create it all together with, um, with video capabilities. So we create an environment that then virtual business cards are traded or exchanged within it. So it's a much, much bigger project. Then we realize video calling is not a small task that you just do an MVP and see how it goes. We were like, okay, we want to test this idea on other platforms. So I decided to do Zoom events. Now that I have a community of small business owners, let's do Zoom events and test it out. And the idea was uh, we'll do Zoom events and put people in these smaller groups to really get to know each other and see if that networking helps. Two days ago was my very first Zoom um, event. You got stuck out. Tell, tell us what happened with, with your side. Yeah, and, and I think it also reflects the, the current issue with those things. I, I got the, the invite for the uh, uh, Eventbrite link. Uh, and signed up, of course. And, uh, you know, when the event time started, I got an email or something, you know, uh, everyone is like busy throughout the day. And I got an email, okay, it started, here's the link, whatever. Uh, and I tried to, to log into it, but I couldn't. The, the link was broken. It was like an unclickable uh, button of... Uh, the meeting started, I was one or so, two minutes late and uh, the meeting already started. Click here to join. It was unclickable, not from a Safari, not from home. And uh, just couldn't get in, try to text you or something, but you were busy with the event. And this is uh, 
How I it, com- it. it comes back to me being an amateur when it comes to event because I could have easily put the Zoom link inside the description of Eventbrite or something, but I wanted people to register and then get the link so I know how many people to expect. And then I didn't know how to handle that. So a bunch of emails went from Eventbrite without the link and then I sent one with the link. Some people got it, some people didn't. So there was, there was a, a bit of a... Um, me being an amateur pretty much but i but i don't but i think it reflects the entire uh, um time period we are here we are living right now yes and how all of these zooms and video calls are not ideal uh and this is just a reflection of that and 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 the pain point that i see within this environment is um as soon as your Zoom conversation goes beyond five people, you get in a position that you're just listening. You're muting your microphone, listening, and at some point you're like, "Well, I could have just watched a YouTube video whenever I want." Why so, so I- how how was the event? I wanted to ask so, you because I have yes. no idea what what yeah. went. So the, uh, the, here here's how I ran it. I ran a structured event where I talked for five to ten minutes, set up the whole thing, and and the topic was around. Um, getting creative around our businesses, sharing our um, problems and getting help from others. So then we went to introduction phase where every single person, about 18 people attended or 16 or 18 people, 90 seconds each, introduce yourself, introduce your business. What is the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your business? And what is your ask from the community? Everybody introduced themselves and, and every time somebody finished, I had a timer on the screen. I said, your time is up. Itai, can you uh, share your um, uh, a link or a contact info on the chat so people can reach out to you? Everybody did that and I was surprised half of the people shared their OVU link uh, nice. because they were OVU customers. They shared their OVU link and some people asked, what is this? The other person answered, um, you can f- click on it. You find everything about me in there. So they, they introduced themselves. They shared piece of con- uh, connect, uh, contact and then once everybody introduced themselves, I broke them into rooms of four. Uh, and then within that room, they started chatting further. They started really working on each other's problems. So one person shared, this is the challenge I'm going through. Everybody else were trying to solve it for them. So someone from outside of your business kind of giving you help. And when we got out of the room, everybody loved it. Everybody said, we really liked it. We saw the structure, but the problem was they couldn't choose what room to be. So yeah, I wanted to ask you by what you divided it to a room, something specific or random? Random, random. So they, uh, I already knew that what might be the problem, but I kind of went with the first time running a Zoom. (laughs) And the next Zoom call, which is next week, I want to run a voting test. So while people are doing their 60 seconds, there is a Google form with a vote that asks you, this person that is talking, do you want to be in the same room? Yes, maybe, or no. And then uh, we are trying to put together optimization algorithm to see what are the most optimized rooms. And that's how we're going to break into. And then we're going to test whether that gives people better experience. Okay. I'll try to be in the next one. I'll, I'll do my best to attend. Yeah. But... Uh, the- I don't want this episode to be about the idea itself because yeah. obviously I'm going through different, uh, different experiments. I, I'm, I would love to know what you think. I would love to know what the other people think. 
But this episode, I want to take a step back and say there is an emotional drain to the founder, to the entrepreneur going through these uncertainty. I don't know which one of these will work. I don't know whether my idea is better or what my developer told me is better or what my mentor has said better. There are so many variables and ideas and being unbiased is very difficult. I get attached to one of them more than the other and processing it is it, it takes a lot of energy and because I found out that doing stuff is way easier when I know what's working and just do it. These are my tasks. I have to attend hundred events. I have to do this. It's a lot easier than I don't know. And I keep pivoting and I'm reminding myself sometimes with hundred events, I had a lot of uncertainty, but I stuck to it and I got something out of it. I feel like with this, whatever feels better and right, I have to stick to it long enough to get, you know, really hard answers in um, otherwise you're just guessing and switching yeah and and uh, uh for me the the takeaway for like maybe startup founders is is probably not to be afraid of pivoting in general uh maybe there is a stigma around it or or something but uh i think it's an essential part i think that's your advantage as a startup to do these small changes and adjustment that big companies and big corporations just cannot do. Uh, this is what it is to be a startup. And uh, you should embrace that. Uh, keep an open mind, always collect the feedback and learn from it and adjust accordingly. Uh, maybe some people would not call this pivoting, but I do. And uh, yeah. that's my takeaway. For, for sure. And, and I don't know in, in Vanniver what stages are you guys at or if you, uh, you may face a bigger pivot and, uh, later. But, but what I'm experiencing today is that I have, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a type of person that I consult a lot of different people and I want to get ideas, right? And I have a lot of ideas that are quite valid but it just doesn't sit well with me and i have ideas that are more you know ambiguous and it's hard to to grasp and i have so many different things that i can't test every possible one of them and i have to stick to one and say no matter what i'm gonna commit myself to test this the same way you guys did it for four months like I could see myself the moment I saw some KPIs within that Apple support community, I would have been like, okay, let's move to another group because this is not going to stick into it for long enough is not an easy thing, especially when you don't see the right signals at some point. Sticking and also letting go and moving on to the next uh, uh, focus of subject. Also, these things are you know, when, when we're telling the story, it all sounds like, okay, uh, we go from A to B to C, but the reality is, uh, okay, we did the Apple stuff, we had a bunch of feedback, we had to do so much product changes and working with developer, that takes you to a different place. So it's not as uh, clean as it sounds, right? Yeah. You, you don't Absolutely. really move, navigate from A to B to C. It's uh, more... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a, an... a, a to B to C is what you guys end up doing. But at every fork, there were 10 different paths to take. Yeah. Like, for example, right now, I have a small community that if I survey, I get 
hundreds of ideas from them, but each person wants something else. And if I end up saying yes to everyone, it just doesn't work. You become everything to everyone and you fail. Yeah. Also, uh, funny that you, you said it. I told you yesterday, we, I want to do a, a, maybe even the next episode about feedback. Yes. Um, our, my experiences, your experiences about taking feedback and uh, how I learned to, to take feedback and really, uh, I mean, it could be a, a I'm super excited. Thing. I'm super yeah. excited about, about feedback because it's epo- Im- very important and constructive, but at the same time, it can be destructive when you take feedback. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very passionate. Should we bring it to an end? I think uh, that's enough for today. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the biggest takeaway I think our audience can take from this conversation is that stick to your intuition, that core idea. There was a moment you got excited about a business, excited about an idea, stick to that intuition, never lose it. But at the same time, stick it long enough that you can get some KPIs, some data and pivot accordingly with that data and be open how people see your solution. End of the day, market is the market is the market and they tell you what you need to do but sometimes guessing it too early, it becomes too, what is that famous phrase that says uh, too much analytic or too much statistic uh, cripples you? I'm terrible at these phrases. <laughs> not sure, not sure. But yeah, I agree with you. I think I'll that- fa- I'll find it for next episode. For, but- for me, the, the, exactly what you said, the passion should come from the core of the idea, from the idea of the idea and not the idea itself. I like that. I like that. So yes, that's episode two of 100 podcasts in 100 weeks with Reza V and Itai Schechter. It was about pivoting. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next episode. It's all about feedback.